You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Well, I almost died. Donna told me to quit talking about it, so that's... <laughs> mm. Well, it's great to be back. It's been three months since I've spoken here. And um, uh, Donna and I are so grateful for all of you who stepped in while I was in the hospital, then in recovery. Um, Dan's done a lot of speaking. I think he's done a great job. How about you? Yeah, this time's also giving you an opportunity to get to know him and his heart for the Lord and to see the gift that he is to us. And he really, he really is. Dan and Kara, so glad you're here. Um, David Valier has spoken some and led worship some. That's been great. He's done a great job too. Let's give it up for David. Then we've had, um, Stuart and John Mark in the background roaming around trying to do the right thing for everybody. But uh, both David and Dan came to me and said, what do you need? What can I do to help? And of course, Christopher, we couldn't do any of this without Christopher. He's uh, kept everything going on the operational side. Thomas spoke last week. You remember that? Randall Worley was here one Sunday, and um, all of you have continued to be so supportive. You prayed, you brought us meals, you gave me a special offering, I bought a metal detector. I'm very grateful for the church. <laughs> I guess that's what old people do, they buy metal detectors. And... But I really do believe Queen City Church has a significant future. And I'm grateful to be alive and still be able to be a part of it. Um, before I preach, I wanted to uh, make a couple of significant, um, we're making some changes or additions to our staff. As you know, Dan joined our pastoral team earlier in the year and has been juggling his time between Charlotte on the weekends in Wilkesboro, trying to finish one of the prettiest houses I've ever seen. And... Um, they're approaching the end of that, and I think he and Kara are aiming at being in Charlotte full-time, hopefully by the end of the month, which will really be good for us. So Dan is going to serve Queen City Church as our associate pastor, and we really, yeah, let's give it up for Dan. That's a good thing. We're making progress. We're moving forward, and we're so excited to get uh, the Kieslers engaged in the life of our church. They've really been a great addition. I'm also excited to announce that David Valier is joining our staff. Where's David? Is David? 
still amongst us. There he is. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's tremendous. What a team. Woo. Yeah, I believe you know David's heart for worship. He's going to pastor and ministrate our worship teams. And I was trying to think about how long I've known David. It's at least 15 plus years. It may be 20. But I've known David a long time since he was young and I was middle-aged. So he's just a tremendous worship leader, but he's so much more than that. He's an equipper. He's, um, he's a teacher. Um, and we're, we're just grateful that David's going to come on board at least part-time. He's got a couple of hats he wears, but uh, we're really blessed and excited to have you part of our team, David. Gosh, so good. And last but not least, the Ballsleys, Brett and Annie. Where are they this morning? Are they? Yeah, why don't you guys stand up? I want to be sure everybody sees who you are. Brett and Annie. Yeah. Along with uh, Rebecca Firth, uh, but are, are helping us with our Queen City Church youth. And they actually have an event scheduled this afternoon. They're going rollerblading. Blading skating, roller skating. <laughs> but we love you guys. We're so glad and excited about the impact you're going to have. So we're moving forward, ladies and gentlemen. And over the course of the weeks, we'll have these folks up and share some of their hearts about what, what they're doing. Okay? Amen. Good, good. I was thinking about what I was going to preach today, and my wife said, you should preach the 23rd Psalm. And um, it reminded me of some experiences I've had over the last number of years that have formed who I am spiritually. Um, Believers can experience unique seasons of darkness sometimes. And there's actually a term for it in, in Christian literature called the dark, dark night of the soul that's been called. And it's a time when God seems distant, disinterested, disinterested, or maybe even angry with us, although none of those are true. It seems that way. That's the way we feel. And what happens is your response can turn to coldness or indifference or unbelief, and some have even left the faith because they were unprepared for that kind of time. I was 25 years old. I had been diligently following the Lord for about seven years when I first experienced what I would call the dark night of the soul. And I want to talk about that a little bit because there were some lessons I learned there that have sustained me for 45 years. Donna and I were dating. Actually, um, Monday's our 47th wedding anniversary. Man, that's a long time, but it's been really good, (laughs) mostly. But uh, anyway, when I went into that period, we were dating, and I, I had a terrible time. I was confused. I was depressed. I was battling despair. And I had absolutely no clue about what was going on. I was disoriented. Um, I kept breaking up with her. I mean, that's a story all of its own. Um, But 
you know, obviously something turned out after 47 years of being married. But uh, um, so I was confused. I was depressed. I was disoriented. I was not fun to be around. And eventually God came to my aid, but there was a lesson to be learned. And I think um, one one of, I've had a, a five-word prayer since my episode back in June, and it's, why am I still here? Because the largest percentage of people who went through what I went through aren't there. They've gone on. And um, one thing that happens to you when you go through something like that, at least you you forget about your own dreams. This, all this stuff about fulfilling your dreams is just such a useless bunch of drivel people because when it comes right down to it, what's God's purpose for your life? What's God's purpose for your life? And um, one of the things I know I need to do is help people. I mean, all my great aspirations of notoriety or or prominence or preeminence or visibility or fame or fortune, they just uh, they just fade away. And so one thing I want to do today is help you because I know, I know, um, I see all of you lovely people here this morning, but I see the faces of those who aren't here anymore because they quit. They're gone. Maybe they'll come back. I don't know. And I don't mean mad at me or mad at our church kind of quit, but gave up. And, and a lot of people give up because they don't understand what's going on. And the devil is always there to lie to them about, the, about what kind of God we have. And there are lessons to be learned. And so during that period, three different things happened that began to help me understand what it really means to have faith. Actually, it's interesting. Thomas talked about faith last week. I believe if I remember correctly. Dan talked about faith the week before. And I want to talk about it a little bit this morning as well. But in that period of time, I was not married. I was living alone. That's a, you know, gosh, living by yourself is just nerve wracking because you, you, you may not realize it. I realized it. When all you do is think about yourself, you're in trouble, man. That is a downward spiral. You better off to go fight with somebody than sit around and think about yourself all the time. But uh, anyway, during that period of time, um, three things happened. I had an unusual experience, number one, that really grabbed my attention. Number two, I had a very revealing and encouraging dream that began to give me a different viewpoint of things. And the third thing was the Lord actually gave me a song a song to sing. I wrote a song. I used to play banjo and guitar a little bit, drums a little bit, and I wrote a number of songs, but that was a long, long time ago. But the Lord actually gave me a song, and he enabled me to sing my way out of a depression. 
And so the first thing that happened was I was bemoaning my fate as a human. I was laying on my bed in the bedroom there at the apartment I had over near off Providence Road. And I can remember hanging my head over the side of the bed and and basically just moaning. Just You talk about self-centered depression. And as I was laying there, out of my innermost being and without any of my personal intention, I said the word or the word was spoken through me and it was Abba. Abba. It just like came out of my mouth and fell on the floor. I heard it. I heard myself say that. I hadn't thought to say it. And it was so peculiar, but it was um, absolutely revolutionary and revelatory if you understand what was actually going on. And I didn't immediately, but I did later. But um, I really did not know what to think about it because it took me by surprise. I didn't think to say it. I just said it, and I shocked myself, and I didn't understand it. But Romans eight fifteen through 17 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So what was going on is my spirit knew something about my condition that my mind had not been able to settle on. And it was that I was a son. I was accepted, I was free, I was safe, I was secure, I was forgiven. The spirit of adoption cries out, Abba, Father. The second thing happened was I had a dream. And... um in the dream, I was trapped on a narrow mountain ledge. I can, I can see it in my mind right now. I was trapped, prostate on a, uh, prostate or trait, which anyway, <laughs> laying on the side of this mountain and an inch one way and I would go over. And above me was a, a rock outcropping that came down over the top of me. And there were people up there that knew I was in desperate condition trying to help me, but they couldn't, they couldn't reach me. And I thought, how in the world am I going to get out of this mess? And the next thing I knew, I was on top of that rock instead of underneath it, sitting there. And the reality of that dream is I was always on top of that rock. I was always seated there. I was always okay. I was always free. I just didn't believe it, and I didn't have the methodology 
to navigate emotionally out of that place of difficulty, although I did not need to be in that place of difficulty. There was a way out. Well, then the last thing that happened, and this this was very interesting, was the Lord gave me a song. And the song is titled, He's Done It in Me. Say that with me. He's done it in me. And the song goes, I might sing it. That would be all right. I'll try. He's done it in me. Yes, he's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. And the Lord said, sing that song. And I said, but it's not true. I was arguing with the Lord. He said, sing it. And I said, but it's not true. Mightier works has never a man done than when God the Father sent Jesus the Son, the lame man, the blind man. He healed him one and all. He ransomed captive Israel and saved us from the fall. Well, he's done Apparently, aneurysms make you emotional. (laughs) He's done it in me. He's done it in me. Jesus has come and he's set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. Revival has come and how my heart does soar. Jesus has won. The battle is no more. The devil is lost. He has no domain. Open up your hearts, you saints. Here comes latter rain. Glory to God, he's made me a son. I don't deserve it, but that's what he's done. Join heirs with Jesus, we ever shall reign. I wait for the promise. He's coming again. And so the Lord said, sing that song. I said, but Lord, the song's not true. He said, sing it. And I sang my way out of that terrible place. And what I was singing was what was true, not what I felt. What I was singing was the eternal gospel of God. The day you got saved is not the day Jesus died for you. The day you met the Lord was not the day Jesus died on the cross for you. He did something on Calvary that is eternal, that cannot be changed, that cannot be withstood. He did something so profound that we are still trying to get used to what it is. It's a finished work. You may not feel free. Well, I'm sorry, you are, like it or not. You may not feel forgiven. Well, I'm sorry, you are, whether you like it or not. You may not feel blessed. Well, I'm sorry. And see, that's that's the problem. We live in this touchy-feely uh, media blah world where it's all about what everybody feels. Well, that is not a way you can successfully navigate 
what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And so what happens is, and this is the part we need to get on board, it's the confession of your faith. It's the confession of your faith that brings deliverance in your experience, but it's a deliverance you already have. It's how you experience what you've got. You know, there were certain um, pivot points in the life of Jesus. There was the time in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Well, there was also the time in the wilderness when he was tempted. And if Jesus had failed that temptation, I do not know how that would have affected us today. But if he had failed that temptation, and what could be more serious than the kind of temptation Jesus had to endure in order to overcome the enemy? And the way he endured the enemy was he said, I don't feel like what you're saying is true. (laughs) No, no. He didn't go there. He said, it is written. He probably felt as lost as the devil was trying to make him feel because that's where the battleground is. But the way through that is, it is written. Here's what God says. Here's what I'm saying and I'm agreeing with God. The power of agreement is the difference in life and death, but it's got to be more than brain. It's got to be verbalized. It's got to be spoken with the heart. Man believes unto righteousness with the mouth. Confession is made unto experiential Salvation. Many believers, maybe even in this room, you have a weak faith because you never testify about your salvation. You never tell, well, you rarely tell people about Jesus. Many Christians live as effective atheists. Now, I know the whole confession possession thing has uh, been overdone, but I'm telling you something. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I want to tell you this too. It takes humility and faith to confess something God says is true that we don't feel like is true. That contradicts our experience. But our depression and sadness simply affirm that we are wrong in our thinking and he is right. God knows how to deliver something, someone from their emotions. And it has to do with an agreement and a proclamation, even when everything within you says this is not so. Well, let God be true and every man a liar so that you may be justified when you're judged. That's exactly what the Bible is saying. There's a point where the best thing that could ever happen to you in your life is to, to, for God to reveal to you how absolutely deceived you are about things you believe to be so. 
because it will wreck that uh, dependence on this flimsy, uh, poor foundation of how you feel and what people think. That needs to be wrecked. It needs to be wrecked. So I was telling the Lord, I'm right and you're wrong. That's a fool's game. He said, sing it. I said, but it's not true. He said, sing it. Sing it. Hey, here's a verse that meant a lot to me during my aneurysm. Though a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, that's 11,000, it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you see whatever that other verse says there. So what that means is it happens, there are 11,001 people in the room and 11,000 die and you don't. Psalm 91, Psalm 91. You know, when the adversary, when Satan attacked Jesus in the, in the temptation, do you know what he attacked in him? He attacked Psalm 91 in the life of Jesus the Messiah. A lot of what he uh, refuted or tempted Jesus with was a misunderstanding of Psalm 91. Donna told me just this week, um, the, the most quoted book of the Bible by Jesus is the book of the Psalms. And see, the Psalm 91 has the most unbelievable promises in it you could ever in your life imagine. And any rational person who's lived this life would say, Psalm 91 is a hoax and a lie. But let me tell you what Psalm 91 is. It's a weapon of war. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty whose power no evil folk can withstand. I will say of the Lord, you will what? I will say of the Lord, you will what? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. On him will I lean and rely. And in him shall I confidently trust, for surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler. What's the then connected to? I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord, for surely then he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Boy, Robin McMillan, the bird man, was in a snare, and I got delivered. I got delivered. I got delivered. But it takes humility. It takes a kind of faith everyone in this room must have to declare what God says in the contradiction of your circumstances and your emotions. And if you do not learn that, you are on your way out into a darkness you could not describe. There is no bottom to how bad things can get when you walk away. There's no bottom to evil. There's no bottom to it. You have to stand against it. And I don't mean out there parading in the street. I mean in your own heart. You have to take a stand. You have to make up your mind that what God says is true and what I'm feeling is false. You have to. 
That's what it's going to come down to if it hasn't already. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. You've had to fight that kind of a fight. The Bible puts it in these terms. There's joy and peace in believing. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where's joy and peace in believing? Where's joy and peace? Where will the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace? Oh, it's in this certain place called believing. You see, this generation, not, not just millennials, I'm not, I'm not dissing millennials, but all of us alive today, That was a real important thing I was getting ready to say. But I don't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, I remember that part. <laughs> we have no idea how significant it is to simply believe the truth. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So there's a place to live where we can be filled with hope, with joy, with peace. It's called in believing. In believing. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It's almost like a badge of honor if you're a doubter. It Really, it is. And I'm thinking, that is stupid. That's foolish. It really is. And I don't mean you don't doubt. I don't mean you don't go through things. But I'm telling you, you got to go through them. You got to come out the other side. Everybody's going to go through. But don't glorify the midpoint of your uh, faith questions. Like you're some kind of a dead gum hero because you don't like Christians. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. Now, what has all this got to do with the 23rd Psalm, you might ask yourself? Has anybody asked themselves that? Well, here, David wrote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Picture those luscious green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Oh, glorious still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. What does your cup do? Runs over. I heard somebody say, if somebody wants you to stay for supper, they pour you half a glass. If they want you to stay and visit, they pour you a full glass. If they never want you to leave, they overflow your glass. And they prove to you there's more than enough forever and ever. Your cup, that's so good. My cup runs over. Surely, what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, 
Do you know what was going on in David's life when he wrote the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. I have need of nothing. That's what that means. Here's what was going on. Absalom stole his throne, was trying to murder him, and David was walking out of Jerusalem with a defeated ragtag group of people that were left that believed in him. He didn't know if he's going to live through the night. I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He was, he was eating dirt. He was eating dust. He had nothing to eat. All of that David was saying was, was he, none of it. Here's what was true. He was in the presence of his enemies who turned out to be his oldest son. That was true. None of the rest was true. But that's when David wrote that psalm. I wonder if when he was leaving Jerusalem, being chased by Absalom with that little group of men and women, whoever it was, if he looked at them and he thought, gosh, this looks like that terrible little band of sheep I had when I was a boy. And then he remembered, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I remember what I did for my sheep. I remember what I did when the lion came. I remember what I did when the bear came. And that's my God. The Lord's my shepherd. I may be in bad shape, but I shall not want. I have no, if you have God, you have everything. You just may not have it enough yet. I don't know. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. The Bible there says he fetches back my vitality. It also means I have returned to myself. I have returned to myself. He restores my soul. What is this? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What that means is because God has put his name on you, he is obligated by his own character to see you through for himself, not even for you, not even for your sake. When he has claimed you as his own, he does not want the world to think he can't take care of his own. For my name's sake, because of who I am, I'll deliver this person. Because of who I am, I will prove my goodness to them. Because of who I am, I will show them a way through what it is they're dealing with. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, when I was going through my episode, I wasn't the least bit afraid. And one reason was I didn't know how close I was to dying, maybe. Everybody around me knew it. I felt bad for them later. I was actually the happiest guy in ICU there for about two weeks. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the medication. I don't know. But I've never had drugs that made me that happy, frankly. But I was happy as I, wasn't I happy? Come on, honey, back me up. I'd call people on the phone I don't even remember talking to. I was so happy. Oh, Don Harvester sitting in the back. Four in the morning, I text Don. Here's a text. Don. That was all there was to it. <laughs> I talked to Rick Eldridge. He's sitting back there. And Rick talked to Don. He said, well, you know, I've talked to Robin. I don't think he's in that bad of shape. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I don't know what was going on. But anyway, I know when I got that first headache, 
I thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I really did think that, and that was disconcerting, but it wasn't fearful. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, it says in verse 5. How remarkable. Your enemies are still around you, and yet God can prepare a table. I think about the table of the Lord. You know who can come to the table of the Lord? Everybody. There's room for everybody at the table of the Lord. But being at the table ought to make a difference in your life. You might come messed up, but you shouldn't leave messed up. You might come needing help, but you should get your help. But that's what the table is. It's open. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And here's something that I think I can't overemphasize, although I'd like to. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. You see, one of the things the Hebrews would do was they would make um, a statement and then they would um, follow it with how that statement was going to come to pass. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Or all of these promises in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 about the Lord, they can literally come to pass because he anoints our heads with oil and our cup overflows. And what that's talking about is the experiential power of the Spirit of God. The experiential power of the Spirit of God. One of the things I believe the Lord told me he wants to do here, and it hasn't happened the way I believe he wants it to happen, is I believe God wants to visit us. And when I say that, God's here now, but I believe there's a season, there's an episode coming of a visitation from the Lord that is going to be absolutely phenomenal in this church. I believe he's going to anoint your head with oil. I believe your cup's going to overflow. And an overflowing cup speaks of a kind of spiritual intoxication that enables you to live above your circumstances. How many of us need a touch of God that won't change our circumstances but will cause us not to be so concerned about them? See, that's, that's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Is, is life doesn't always change, you change. You get intoxicated with the goodness of God. Um, shepherds anointed sheep because um, parasites would burrow their way into their minds and drive them nuts. And when they did that, they would butt each other's head. And what they were doing was they were trying to itch something inwardly they could not actually reach. And that anointing oil would preserve them from that kind of mental agony. And there are people in the church all over who have mental agony. They battle their minds all the time, and you don't have to. There is a place in God where that is no longer your lifestyle. It's an endowment by the Spirit of God. It's an anointing. It's an intoxication. It's an infilling. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible calls it. Actually, Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. The Bible says he was anointed. He was uh, um, 
familiar with grief, but he was anointed with the oil of gladness. How many of you like to be anointed with the oil of gladness? I would like to be anointed with the oil of gladness. I would like to be so joyful, I don't care what goes on. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? What kind of church would that be? Yeah. Your brain is trying to explain to you why you should be sad, and your spirit and the power of the uh, impartation of God has you living so far above that, you walk on it. You tread on your serpents. You see, there's a place, uh, um, there's an altitude where snakes can't live anymore. We got to live above the snake line. We got to be so filled with the Holy Ghost, the snakes don't bother us anymore. We got to be touched by the mind of Jesus to think like Jesus, live like Jesus, walk like Jesus, feel like Jesus, where we don't depend on what we used to feel like, and we don't live with that hostile, anxiety booger bearing down on us, trying to get us concerned about everything. You know, if you didn't listen to the your phone all the time, you wouldn't even know there was stuff to be upset about. You wouldn't. Oh, well, did you see what the president did? No. No. Or did you hear about no? No. Actually, well, the trouble is I have. That's the problem. But it's a choice. It's a decision. Oh, my goodness. What time is it? Okay. What I've lost, God fully restores to me. You know, David had a terribly difficult life. Some of it he brought on himself. One thing happened was in a place called Ziklag, his enemies came in, stole his wife, stole his kids, stole his stuff, burnt the village down. And all of David's uh, famous, wonderful, mighty men of valor thought, well, let's just kill David. It's all his fault. Now, you might have been in tough straits before. You've probably not been in that one. What did David do? There were two things David always did. He inquired of the Lord, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's your job. My job, I'm up here encouraging you, but honestly, it's not my job. That's your job. Your job is to encourage yourself. Your job is to manage your own soul. Your job is to discourage, uh, discover the promises in God, in God that you can lay hold of that are true. But that's what David would do. He would encourage himself. He would remind himself of the goodness of God. Let's, let's stand together and um, let Desiree come. I want us to read Psalm 23 together, but I want us to do it like... Um, as a faith proclamation. How many of you ready for that? I did pretty good for not feeling that great. Thank you, Jesus. That's a miracle. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Say that like you mean it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Round of applause. That was great. What an encouragement. One thing that stuck out to me in that story that I love was when God told you to sing and you're like, that's not true. He didn't argue. God didn't argue with you or try to convince you that he was right. He just said, sing. Sing it. <laughs> and I thank the Lord for your obedience. Um, so mercy, we, God. mercy, yes. <laughs> we have prayer teams. If you need prayer, word, and word of encouragement, we will have teams up here in the front. Everyone else, connect with someone you don't know. Invite them to lunch. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.